Hey, my name is PJ Nolan. I'm the lead pastor of Collective Church. We are a community of real people in Saline County, Arkansas, seeking to know God and to make Him known. We hope as you visit our podcast that you will find the messages inspiring, practical, but most importantly, biblical. All that said, uh, I want you to follow me to the Word this morning. We are in part two of a four-part message series that we just kicked off last week. The title of this series is Commit. Uh, Commit, and the subtitle is Growing Deeper for the Glory of God. Uh, Last week, we kicked off with the subject of persevering prayer. Uh, We learned that one of the reasons why we place such a high priority on prayer here at Collective Church is because Jesus said that his house, his temple, or his church shall be called a house of prayer. Uh, Today, as we continue, the title of our message is Enthusiastic Ministry. Enthusiastic ministry. We don't only want to be known as a church of persevering prayer, but we want to be known as a church that's all about enthusiastic ministry. In other words, we want to be a church that's known for being a people that are joyful and thrilled and excited to serve the purposes of the Lord uh, through their talents and through the spiritual gifts that God has given them. God calls us to mature in our faith. Let me say that one more time. God calls us to mature in our faith. Uh, I don't say this proudly. I don't say it arrogantly. I say it more from a place of concern. Uh, but far too many believers are what you might would say are saved and satisfied. Um, scripture refers to those folks as spiritual infants. Um, you have folks in congregations, even folks in ours, uh, all across the world today that have maybe been saved for years, years, but spiritually speaking, they're still what Scripture calls infants. Uh, They're still on what Scripture calls spiritual milk, and the Bible tells us that God desires for us to grow up in our faith, uh, eventually grow out of being spiritual infants and wean off the milk and begin to eat spiritual meat. God calls us to mature in our faith. The Scriptures tell us in Psalm 1-3, that the righteous are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all that they do. For that to happen, you and I have to make the choice daily to grow deeper in our faith for God's glory. We have to commit to growing and putting deeper roots down in the Lord. And God desires that for us. He desires that we be deeply rooted in him as individual Christ followers. And the result of that choice, when we make that choice as individuals on a daily basis, the result is that we become a church that is collectively growing deeper in him as well. Uh, As pastor, God has put a desire in my heart from the very beginning that Uh, We aim and seek and strive to be a church that grows numerically, making more room at the table for people, but never at the expense of growing deeper. Um, I'm not about, never have been about being the biggest church in town. I'm not really concerned about that. I never want to have the best facility in town. As one of our elders says, there's no need for us to ever have a facility that looks like Six Flags over Jesus. Um, It's not about that. That doesn't equal effective, enthusiastic 
ministry. I want to see us grow wider, but not at the expense of growing deeper. We don't want to be a church that's a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to be deeply rooted in Christ for his glory. But that will require something of us. It will require commitment. Speaking of commitment, uh, I'm reminded of a mission trip, of one of two mission trips that Lauren and I were privileged to take to uh, Ghana, West Africa, uh, many years ago, several years ago now. And we were on our second trip to Ghana, me and Lauren with a team from our previous church, and we were preparing for Sunday worship uh, with a local congregation that met within the village that we were going to be serving part of our week with. We were going to be partnering with this fellowship of believers and going into the village there and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with various people that didn't know him or didn't have a church. And so we're with our team on a Sunday morning and we're driving to this place of worship where this uh, local congregation met. And we're driving down this main road and a main road in Ghana, Africa, more than likely is still a dirt road. Uh, Lots of potholes, lots of up and downs. And we're driving down this main road that's a dirt road, and eventually we come to a place where our driver pulls off the main road onto another dirt road that quickly turns from dirt to just grass. And by grass, I mean tall grass. And he just starts driving through that. And so in Africa, they call this portion of, they call it the bush. Um, And so it's tall grass, there's some trees, and they've cut some paths, some walkways, but they're very narrow. And so we we park, and the driver tells us, okay, we're going to have to walk the rest of the way uh, to get to the church. And I'm looking at the tall grass ahead of us, and I'm looking at what we're going to have to walk through, and I start to get a little uneasy about that. And let me tell you why. One of my biggest fears is snakes. Um, I hate snakes. I just, man, I don't do snakes. And on my first trip to Ghana, West Africa, we had been told as we walked through the bush to always watch for snakes and to watch especially for a snake called the black mamba. Um, I don't know if you know this, but black mambas are the longest poisonous snake in Africa. Uh, They can strike up to 12 times within a minute. And so on this second trip to Africa, when I hear that we need to walk the rest of the way, and I see what we're about to walk through, uh, my commitment about went out the window, and I about told the team, hey, you guys go ahead, I'm just going to worship here at the van. Uh, Instead, I committed, we walked the rest of the way, we got to the church where we were going to meet, and by the way, the church, what we got to was just a wide open structure, Uh, some kind of beams on each end holding it up, the roof of the church was covered in... um, in leaves and grass and branches and so on. The pastor enthusiastically greets us, tells us that we're going to start a little bit late this morning because our congregation is still making their way here. He said they're actually coming by foot, and the rain this morning has slowed them down a bit. Which, by the way, we're one of the only countries in the world that actually tries to run as punctual as we run. Um, In other countries, they're a lot more laid back about running on time. So we hang around for about 30 more minutes or so, and next thing you know, all of a sudden, this group of people come walking up the bush trail to come and worship with us. And when they make their way there, you know what the families were? They were enthusiastic. 
They were excited to show up and to gather and worship with God's people. You know, they had walked for miles. And not just walked for miles, they walked for miles in the rain. And when they got there, not a single one of them complained. Not a single one said, we finally made it. We're covered in water, we're covered in rain, we're miserable. Not a one of them. They showed up there with kids in tow, and they were thrilled to arrive at their church and show off their new building to us that they had recently built. You know, here, um, if we live even like more than a mile away from the church, and your car breaks down or the battery's out one Sunday morning, you're probably not going to walk here. The reality is, is you're going to send a text message to a staff member, a leader, or a friend and say, hey, the car's dead this morning. We're not going to be there today. I understand why. We're not accustomed to that. Much less are you going to walk in the rain, right? In fact, if that was your circumstance, the question that we're going to get here, we're going to get a text message and go, hey, do we stream the services No option for that in Ghana, West Africa. Rain, muddy dirt roads, and they still walked to church with kids in tow. And when they got there, they didn't say, hey, where can we hand off our kids because they distract me during worship? They brought them right in with them. Kids are up moving around during church, during worship. And you know what? Everybody was just thrilled. You have men and women raising their hands to the Lord. It's one of the most awesome experiences I've ever been a part of. It reminds me of our key thought for this entire message series. If you're taking notes, write this down. These natives to Ghana, West Africa, taught me this years ago. Christ doesn't call us to convenience. He calls us to commit. Christ does not call us to convenience. He calls us to commit. We get this from Luke 9.23. Jesus said to a crowd, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to say that you are about me, if you want to say that you are my disciple, then you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way. The the way that you think is good, the way that you think is working for you, you got to give that up and you got to go my way and you got to take up your cross daily and follow me. As we talk about continual commitment this morning, and as we wade into the subject of enthusiastic ministry, let me give you this truth that we're going to work off of uh, for the remainder of our time together this morning. And this, the truth is this. Christ has called his church to commit to biblical ministry. Christ has called his church to commit to biblical ministry. Not the flashiest facilities in town, not to the best light show during worship, not to fog in the worship center, not to the best graphics or images. I love those things. It's all good, but it's not necessarily biblical ministry. What is biblical ministry? Well, biblical ministry is about building lives. Biblical ministry, simply put, is about building lives. There's a whole lot of guys and a whole lot of gals, a whole lot smarter than me, that could probably give a much fancier definition of biblical ministry than I can. But when you boil it all down, that's what biblical ministry is all about. 
building lives, building people up in Jesus for the glory of God. We see this in Paul's letter to the believers at the church of Colossae. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, the Apostle Paul says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. In other words, you must commit. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And look at this. Then you will overflow with thankfulness. In other words, you will be enthusiastic about the Lord, about what he's doing in you, about what he's doing through you, and about what he's giving you the opportunity to be a part of around you. Biblical ministry is about building lives. And here's the second truth and observation about this. If you're a believer here this morning, you are called and commanded to be a builder. Biblical ministry is building lives. And if you claim to be born again through the grace of Jesus Christ, you are called and commanded by the word of God to be a builder. This thing isn't just on me. It's not just on the staff. It's not just on the elders. It is on the church collectively working together to build lives under the headship of the church, Jesus Christ, all for his namesake. And this isn't just my opinion. It's straight from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Paul said that the gifts that Christ gave to the church are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And look what their responsibility is. To equip God's people to do his work. And to what? Build up the church. Who's the church? The people, which is the body of Christ. Ministry is done so that the body of Christ may be built up. And you and I are called and commanded by God to partner with him in this great building project. Isn't that amazing? That God calls us into this with him. That the Lord says, you know what? I could do it all myself. But he says, yeah, I want to spread the ball around a little bit. I want to give my body, the church, the opportunity to all contribute to the building up of people's lives for the glory of of God. It's interesting. A lot of churches get this backwards. A lot of churches make the mistake of believing that they have hired the staff to do the work of the ministry. Biblical ministry is the staff under the leading of Jesus is the staff serving the people by equipping the people for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. Tom Rainer explains it this way in his book, Simple Church. He says the term that Paul uses for build up is the Greek word oikotomy. It is a construction term. It paints the picture of building a house. As builders, there is something we need, though, for building up the body of Christ and living out this ministry with Christ-like enthusiasm and commitment. And that thing that we need is a blueprint, we need a blueprint. We need a blueprint for building up lives within the church. We need a blueprint for biblical 
ministry. Why would we ever try to do this without a biblical blueprint? Let's go to the earliest disciples, some of the very first believers in Christ, some of the founding members of the church. In Acts chapter 1, many of Jesus' original followers and disciples were waiting for the coming of the Spirit that Jesus had promised them. And the Bible tells us exactly what they were doing as they were waiting. In Acts 1, verse 14, the Scriptures tell us that this is what they were doing. They met together. They were together. And they were constantly united in what? Prayer. Remember what we said last week? That prayer is not a ministry of the church. That prayer is the ministry of the church. That prayer is not reserved for some side room within the church, but that prayer is to permeate all that we do as a church. These folks remembered what Jesus said when Jesus looked them in the eyes and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. They're in a season of waiting here, and they said, what better to do than pray? And the scriptures tell us here that they were all together, they were united, and they constantly prayed, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. You fast forward a little bit further to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, then on the day of Pentecost, the scripture tells us that all the believers were meeting together in one place. They were together. When the Holy Spirit came upon them like the sound of a rushing wind. Read a little further in Acts chapter 2. Peter gets the boldness and the courage to preach a simple gospel message. People begin to repent of their sins, call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Folks are baptized. The Lord begins to grow the church numerically. And the believers then give us a blueprint for biblical ministry in verses 42 through 47. Look at what they did here. The scriptures tell us that as the church grew, the believers devoted themselves. You could safely say the believers committed themselves. To what? The apostles' teaching. That simply means the word of God. They committed themselves to the fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity. They were enthusiastic all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And the folks on the outside looking in saw it and said, I want what they got. And as a result, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being what? Saved. We have a blueprint for biblical ministry here. A blueprint for building up the body of of Christ. I have a blueprint as pastor to lead you into these things. And the first thing we see here is the worship of Jesus. Building up the body of Christ should always involve the worship of Jesus. We see their worship in Acts 2 verse 43. The Bible tells us that a deep sense of awe came over them all. What does that mean? They were in such awe of God that they worshiped him. They were worshiping Jesus. 
They were thrilled about Jesus. They couldn't believe what God was doing through them, in them, and among them. Listen, uh, coming together for, for worship, whether it be in a Sunday service, whether it be in a community group, whether it be at a conference, at a retreat, no matter where the worship takes place, it is the collective celebration of God. And it is the celebration of who he is, it is the celebration of what he has done, and the celebration of what we are trusting him to do. There's lots of biblical components to our worship. We worship through song, we worship through serving, we worship through the surrender of our time, through the giving of gifts. There's lots of components to it, but Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 gives you and I a foundation for our worship. Look at what Paul said to the believers at Ephesus. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I want to point out something interesting to you about this word blessed or blessed. The word blessed comes from the Greek word eulogia, which means to speak well of. As you hear the word eulogia, which English word do you think this word has influenced? Eulogy, which unfortunately you and I have come to associate with only funerals. See, this is interesting. It's fascinating to me when you dig into this, because church, listen to me here. The world reserves its eulogies for the dead, but the Bible calls the church to eulogize or speak well of our living God, and that's what we do when we gather for worship. We gather to lift our voices to him, to eulogize our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, to lift him up and to speak well of him. It is why the psalmist said in Psalm 92 verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. You even see these elements of worship in Psalm chapter 100 verses 4 through 5. The Bible tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Eulogize the Lord. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I love what Tony Evans says about worship. He says, thanksgiving in the Bible is usually associated with worshiping God for what he has done while blessing the Lord or praising him often speaks about who he is. It's what we do when we worship him. So biblical ministry always involves the worship of Jesus, but it also will always involve the fellowship of Jesus's people. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. They enjoyed being together. And when they got together, they not only sat around together, but they shared meals together. Both lunch, dinner, and the Lord's Supper is what the Bible tells us. And when they did this, they never neglected to what? Pray. They always brought it back to prayer. Uh, Fellowship or biblical community, whatever you want to call it, is so vital to the church's ministry that it's one of the foundational activities that you and I are to regularly engage in 
with one another. And one of the things that I love and appreciate uh, about the fellowship of God's people is that it is an expression of God's love and value for diversity. And you may say, well, what do you mean by that? If you just look around this room alone this morning, and if folks could hear bits and pieces about one another's lives, you would see and you would learn that we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different challenges, different upbringings. We all have a different amount of money in the bank. We all have different plans for tomorrow. We feel different about certain things, but you know what? There's one thing that unites us and that we have in common, and it's Jesus Christ. And that brings us together into a beautiful fellowship. It's imperative that we commit to this fellowship if we are going to grow deeper. That's why the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, 25, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but instead encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Folks, Jesus is returning. Um, I don't have time to dive into all of that this morning, but he is coming back. And we are not to neglect our meeting together in the meantime. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, right before this verse, gives us instructions of what we are to do when we gather together. It tells us to hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Look at this. When we're together, we are to think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It's hard to do that when you're not with God's people. It's hard to do that when you're isolated. It's hard to do that when you try to walk with Jesus all by yourself. We could paraphrase or summarize these commands in Hebrews chapter 10 by saying, let us not draw back from one another in isolation, but let us draw near to God and to one another so that we can hang in there together and be strong. Number three, biblical ministry will always involve not only the fellowship of Jesus' people, not only the worship of Jesus, but the message of Jesus. uh, Acts 2.42 tells us that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. I said a moment ago what that means simply is that they were committed to the Word of God. The believers, the disciples of the early church were committed to God's Word. They were committed to the message of Jesus. They were committed to the scriptures. And this is why Paul wrote under the divine inspiration of God's Holy Spirit to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Look what he told Timothy to do. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. He said, Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living And the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Preach the word of God. Timothy was pastor. I'm pastor. Uh, I have a command. Our church has a command to preach the word of God, to be committed to the scriptures. It says here to be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, to patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Uh, We are to be committed to the word of God, to the message of Jesus. Why is that? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. 
This is why we're committed to it, because all Scripture, not just the parts that tickle our ears, so to speak, not just the parts that we like to hang on plaques in our houses, but all Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right, and God uses his word, his message, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Folks, we must stay committed to the word of God. I understand that as our culture shifts and as our culture is changing, that there are portions of Scripture that different folks and denominations are saying, that doesn't apply to our day, or this is no longer relevant. Folks, we don't have the liberty to decide that. We've been given a lot of freedom in Christ to enjoy and a lot of freedom to walk in and to be led by the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God never leads us to, to change the Word of God. We are committed to the message of Jesus, to the Word of God. Number four, our final point this morning, is a blueprint for biblical ministry will always entail and involve and be built upon the mission of Jesus. Acts 2, 47, we see these believers here praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And as a result, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What we see here is that they were already living out the instructions that they had been given by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said to them, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. We're called to tell people about Jesus. That's not just my job. It's not just Mary Ann's role. It's not just Shane's role. It's not just Laura Best's role. It's not just the role of the elders in the church. It is the role of every believer in the Lord's church to be his witnesses, telling people about him everywhere. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul laid down some key principles for the church that wants to reach its world for Jesus Christ. Look at what he said here. He said, I urge you, First of all, to what? Pray. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. I urge you to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Even give thanks for them. For who? All people. Pray this way for kings, in other words, leaders, and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Read a little bit further and we see here that Paul draws on his personal example to demonstrate that praying for the lost must be accompanied by going to the lost. Look at the next portion here. He says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. Preachers have to say this sometimes, and Paul models it for us. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth is what Paul said. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is, I'm not instructing you to do anything I'm not also doing. 
Paul's also saying here, if God can choose me to share his message, then he can use you to share his message. Thanks again for visiting the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you found the message to be practical, inspiring, and biblical. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about Collective Church, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you enjoyed the message, hit the subscribe button. And if you'd be willing to, hit share and help us spread the word about Collective Church.